Here, here. All members of the podcast, please rise for the podcast anthem. Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hold your hand to your balls and repeat yes. after me. Clenched or grabbed or clutched. Clenched. <laughs> Firmly grasp it. I pledge allegiance to the fic of So You Think You Can Fanon. I pledge allegiance to the fic of So You Think You Can Fanon. I pledge allegiance to the fic of So You Think You Can Fanon. I pledge allegiance to the fic of So You Think You Can Fanon. Now consume your ceremonial cum chalice so we can begin this episode. Welcome to So You Think You Can Fanon, the only podcast with a- Oh, holy shit. Those are big waveforms. Ouch. Those are big, big audio waves on this. Here, let me get out my chalice. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. Yes. Welcome back to So You Thinking a Fan, the only podcast with a with an intro that almost took a minute and a half to do for no reason that I just came out off came up with off the top of my head. I'm your host, Greg Chudley, and here we have my co hosts, Kai, Six Matt, and Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> hi, 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 hi. Hi, six Matt. Today. Yes, 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 yes. I come bearing <laughs> oh, gifts. No. He's broken. All very important gifts for today. We are reading what I'm a, what I'm gonna call a fan favorite because I'm a fan of it and it's and it's good. It's a favorite. And it's your favorite. It's a it's favorite a of us. Favorite. And I think it's a fan favorite. <laughs> Ugh, I burped. All Guardsmen Party. Yes, we haven't read this since uh, a long time last ago. Year. October, October fifteenth. Oh wow! Damn, Daniel, it's been a year since we last read it. So, <laughs> it has yes, if you're if you're just if you're starting with this episode, there are let me count. I think three, three, three other episodes of this that you can listen to to get caught up. If you don't want to start here, you can start at the beginning, which is episode one, Darwinian character creation. Um, You can also find it at the the allguardsmanparty.com. But if you're lazy and you don't want to listen to our other episodes like cowards, we will do a recap. Give part three some love. Mm -hmm. It, It only has seven views. Part three was a good episode. If that's yes, the one I'm thinking was. of, yeah. Baller episode. So, They're all good episodes. To TLDR, the story up to this point. This is the story of a uh, only war tabletop game. I think it's only war, right? I believe so. Uh, maybe. Uh, is that Dark Heresy see. actually? No, Dark Heresy is <laughs> like Inquisitional. I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's only war. Yes, it's only war. Uh, so that's it in the first part. I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. So yeah, story of the the, the Warhammer Forty Thousand role playing game. Only War. Uh, a group of of players play a game uh, with their DM, who is noteworthy for uh for for high high lethality games. So basically, the first entire chapter of this is just them making new guardsmen, guardsmen going to fight things, and guardsmen dying. And after a long, grueling campaign, uh, I think they had, like, over 60 PCs killed, and they only had, like, 10 left. 
and they were literally making them like just rolling them as they were playing. At the end of the story, when they survive their battle as guardsmen, they get picked up by the Inquisition and become Inquisitional acolytes and assistants to uh to Inquisitors and Inquisitor adepts. Um, where they let's see, the first story they have to fight a demon in a ship. The second story, um, they have to find where all these psychers are disappearing to, and the third story, um, is about a box that is uh, turning guardsmen into pseudo orcs and making them go crazy. And that is where we left off. Them blowing the fuck up the box and almost starting a civil war between the Inquisition, the Guard, and the Adeptus Mechanicus. And then it not happening. Yeah, the Mechanicus were very angry at the end of that chapter. That was a good chapter. I like that. I agree. It was. And now, well, here's to another good chapter. Yeah. The, and that brings us to this chapter. La fidanzata di Nubi. Yes. Nubby's girlfriend. It's in Italian oh. on the top. If you look. Yeah, I yes, see I see. Now. Who would like to start? To start, to start the story. And by that, I mean, can we pause it here? Because I have to shit really badly. All right, liberals. Everyone's silence in the court. The squad is currently staring goggle-eyed at their interrogator, who just so happens to be the most beautiful woman they've ever seen. They have just boarded the shuttle to their next mission, which they are being informed. Which they are being informed involves purging multiple gene stealer cults from an imperial world. Doc is stuttering out a few poorly worded questions and trying not to stare at the interrogator's chest while Cutter has already wandered off and is playing with his chainsword. (laughs) Twitch and Nubby both try to run for an exit at at the word Gene Stealer, and only Sarge's iron grip is holding them back. Behind the interrogator, there are five professional-looking men who are eyeing the guardsmen with dubious expressions. The all-guardsmen party and Nubby's girlfriend. So, no shit, there we were, heading out to fight the foes of the Imperium, under the command, under the command of the hottest woman within several cubic light years. Sure, we were on our way to fight with a bunch of Xenos monstrosities and mutant cultists, but our interrogator was the envy of Inquisition Age across the sector. Any red-blooded truce with us. Except he'd need it for the long, lonely for him. None of us had imagined there was ever an interrogator like her. She was practically perfect. She had a dancer's grace, a charmer's smile, a singer's voice. Everything about her was beautiful and perfect. To top it all off, she had experience running every part of an Inquisition operation, was a minor psyker, and was absolutely deadly with her foresword. It was a wonder that she wasn't already an Inquisitor. We all assumed that her boss had just wanted to keep her possible. The rest of the team consisted of hard-bitten, multi-discipline adepts that could only really be called agents. They each had a bit of specialty, such as technology or stealth or social infiltration, but they were all highly trained operatives that could fill almost any role in a mission. On top of that, every single one of them was wrapped around our interrogator's little finger. They'd go into the Eye of Terra itself, ordered it. They hung on her words at briefings and were constantly researching and practicing in hopes of earning her praise. 
So it's kind of surprising that most of us really didn't fucking like her. <laughs> Who's reading next, Sergio or Kai? I think Kai should, since up. we're going bottom, okay. bottom top. Okay. Bottom, bottom. Doc and Twitch were terrified of her. Doc got tongue-tied around most women. He could barely even talk when the interrogator was around. He would drop what he was holding, stare at anything else in the room, then either freeze completely or mutter something and try to escape. Meanwhile, Twitch had decided that anything that beautiful was specifically designed to destroy men. He firmly believed that she was some sort of demon or witch, or Xenos, or mechanical construct, his theory varied from day to day. The relationship was not helped by her repeated insistence that he not wire everyone's quarters with mines. Sarge and Cutter were vaguely distrustful of her. Sarge had a completely justified distrust of authority. None of the squad's previous interrogators had impressed him with their strategic ability, and his guard superiors had been even worse. On top of this, while she was easier in the eyes than any of his former bosses, Sarge automatically assumed that any superior officer that didn't have at least one obvious battle wound probably spent most of the time getting guardsmen shot instead. For his part, Cutter didn't understand what the fuss was all about. Sure, the interrogator's force weapon was pretty cool, but there was only room in his heart for his chainsword, Chan. Nubby immediately fell in love, though. He followed the interrogator around like a foul-mouthed, unhygienic, kleptomaniacal puppy. Almost like James. We're <laughs> Todd from Jacksonville. He knows what he did. Yes, he knows what he did. How could he? What he did to Kieran? God damn him. Never forgive him. Mm. Honestly, we weren't sure who we felt more sorry for. Nubby's constant attempts to impress her were absolutely pathetic. But on the other hand, she had to endure Nubby's near constant presence. He would follow her around, doing errands, offering her little gifts, and constantly telling her about the heroic exploits of Captain Nubby and his married men. At first, she encouraged this behavior, since Nubby was the only man in our squad that would give her anything more than a resigned salute. Everyone has their limits, though, and Nubby's chatter, blatant thievery, and smell could wear down anyone's patience. Yeah, definitely, James. He even started standing <laughs> guard outside her quarter while she slept, which was more than anyone should have to bear. Sarge put a stop to that as a sort of peace offering. Once again, we claimed a section of our cabins as our own and let Twitch fortify them. Thanks to our abysmal first impression, not to mention the fact that Nubby had on the rest of the team, we mostly got away with our routine of napping, PT, and ignoring everyone else. The others seem to think of us as disposable muscle, and they definitely weren't about to reverse a literal minefield or argue with a heavily armed paranoid just to talk to us. Of course, we had to leave our territory to go to a few briefings with the rest of the team, but since we weren't part of the interrogator fan club, we weren't invited to stick around in their part of the ship. The only exception to our isolation was that every once in a while, the interrogator would come down making an attempt at bonding with us. She stopped trying after Twitch threw holy water at her, though. The end result of this mutual disgust, aside from making any casual conversation with Nubby unbearable, was that Nubby was more or less became the liaison between our squad and the rest of the team. This meant that almost all the information about our mission went through a pathological liar and spent most of the time making eyes to the interrogator instead of listening. The information that filtered through to us wasn't exactly encouraging. A major gene stealer cult had been broken up several years ago by some badass inquisitor, but several splinters had already broken off and headed for other worlds. Recently, several of those splinters had been tracked down to a medium-sized imperial world smack in the middle of the subsector. Oak had apparently decided that this was an excellent chance for some of the inquisitor wannabes to pr prove themselves. So three teams were sent out to try and purge these infestations without. 
massacring entire Imperial cities. A few regiments of guard would be stopping by in a few months, so if the teams failed to solve things by then, a more general purge would be performed by the boys in green. Our three-team force was given enough given the rough location of no less than six gene stealer infestations and told to go down and pinpoint each cult, take out its leadership, and then send in the locals to mop up the rest. Everyone would enter the system discreetly as to not spook the cults, and each interrogator was given a trainee rosette to beat the local authorities over the head with. Each team was assigned two infestations and told to help the others when they finished or if the other teams called for help. Finally, if shit went south, they were to try and convince the PDF to do a general purge. Pudge. Pudge. <laughs> Pudge. Our interrogator and the agents spent the trip going through what info we had about the planet and the cults. The general theory was to find the public face of the cults, perform some sort of daring kidnapping operation, rip the location of the rest of the cult from their minds or databases, then plan a surgical strike with loyal elements from the PDF. We hiccuped. We all eagerly awaited the second plan that would be formed after the attempt to capture a psychotic mutant Xenos cultist surrounded by guards went point-shaped. We touched down, we touched in, down a, in a... Oh, sorry. What? Bro. Wow, Sergio. You for already, for, already forgot the order. SMH my head. <sighs> sorry. We touched down in a fair-sized city and immediately set up base in a pretty ritzy house. Apparently, the Inquisition wasn't skipping on this mission. The agents all started going out in their little fact-finding missions, infiltrating political groups, examining real estate records, hacking databases, and, in the interrogator's case, attending extravagant parties. We were not invited on any of these missions on the grounds that we were so unstealthy that just being in the same general area lately. Lack of invitation didn't stop Nubby from attending the parties, though. One can only imagine the disgust on the interrogator's face when he kept showing up mid-party in clothes he'd mugged off a servant or drunken fool. Since we didn't have anything better to do, we mostly just lounged around, ate bad fast food, kept vehicles in order, and generally transformed a beautiful townhouse into an Imperial Guard firebase. We had been in transit for several weeks, and now we had been told to stay at base while the rest of the team did the investigating. While any guardsman appreciates downtime, Sarge was not a fan of troopers sitting around with nothing to do, so he stepped up the schedule of our drills, and we all helped Twitch fortify the place. This eventually got us in trouble with the interrogator, since apparently surrounding a house with razor wire counts as breaking cover, even if you cover it up with <laughs> decorative shrubbery. Our relationship with the rest of the team was definitely getting a bit strained. Cutter got yelled at for doing sword drills in the middle of the night, Apparently, some of the agents had trouble sleeping while someone was revving a chainsword and screaming obscenities at a training servitor. They were also unappreciative of Sarge holding 5 a.m. PT in the backyard and Doc's insistence that everyone submit to a thorough physical. The real problems were Twitch and Nubby, though. Of course, Twitch was doing his usual thing, but unlike our previous teams, the agents had no appreciation for a properly secured perimeter. After an agent ignored the posted directions and had to be rescued from a depressed landmine, there was a big fight between Twitch and the interrogator. His perfectly valid points about perimeter security, posted instructions, and the relative safety of the mechanical dual-action mines compared to motion-activated ones were dismissed. In the end, he had to remove all booby traps outside the squad's quarters, even the non-lethal ones. To top everything off, Nubby had 
had ground the entire team's nerves down to the bone. His constant petty theft, chatter, and poor hygiene were bad enough, but he was practically stalking the interrogator at this point. His very presence offended the agents, and his behavior drove them all into a simmering rage. Only his fictitious rank of captain and supposed command of our squad kept them from killing him or banning him from their briefings. All in all, it was a relief for everyone when they finally identified the front for the local cult and their primary moles in the local government. Sergio is grabbing food, so I'm going to continue. All right. The, the plan our interrogator came up with was a beautifully choreographed series of misdirections and lightning strikes. There were cunning disguises, perfectly placed bribes, subtle pieces of blackmail, nearly impossible feats of stealth and speed, and in the middle of it all would be our interrogator, acting as the maestro. Every agent would work in perfect sync to draw the targets in, subdue them, and then return them with their memories modified in the cult and the wiser. Our squad would stay in the van and do absolutely nothing to screw things up. An extravagant party was organized by the interrogator, and every one of the targets received an invitation they couldn't possibly refuse. A venue was chosen, disguises were perfected, traps were set, and a little out of the way room was and a little out of the way room was filled with several sinister pieces of equipment and a very nervous doc. Doc was the only one allowed to even enter the building during the operation. That was only because no one else was qualified to to handle anesthesia. Mind you, Doc wasn't really qualified either. His past experience with sedation primarily consisted of sticking unhappy people with the guard-issue one-use morphine amp. The plan called for a lot of really complex stuff that more or less boiled down to grab a target, take them to the little room, drug them, do psyker stuff on them, dump them back in the party with a gap in their memory, then repeat. Cynics that we were, we fully expected this to fail horribly. Our squad sat in the van, armed to the teeth, listening to the comms, and just waiting for the screaming to start. It was a bit of a letdown when things went off without a hitch. The social agents, socialed, stealthy agents, stealthed, the psyker agent, psyched. One after another, the targets were brought to Doc's little room where he kept them sedated while our interrogator and her assistant rooted around in their deformed brains. The closest thing to a problem was when Doc found out that a gene-stealer hybrid is rather resistant to most tranquilizers, but immediately quintupling the dosage solved that problem. In a remarkably short amount of time, we had all the information we needed on the local cult, and the victims had no clue anything had ever happened. We were absolutely floored. Seriously, the mission had taken less than an hour from the word go. Most of the night was taken up with going through the motions of the party while our squad sat in the van like a bunch of naughty children who needed to take a shit. It was the most successful inquisitorial op we'd ever seen, and Nebby gave us no end of shit about doubting his girlfriend. He was so goddamn insufferable that we eventually kicked him out of the van and told him to go stalk the fucking interrogator or something for the rest of the night. The data gained from the party was used to create a detailed list of targets for surgical strikes with local authorities. The list was packaged with several strategic suggestions and dire warnings about the consequences of failure, then sealed by the interrogator and handed off to a few power trustworthy. We got to come along and watch as these packages were delivered. The snooty bastards nearly shit themselves when they were shown the interrogator's rosette. The interrogator sealed the packages and instructed the locals to only open them, if ordered to do so, by someone with an inquisitorial rosette. 
That done, we all packed up, sent a coded message to the other teams informing them of our, of our success, and headed for the next bolt location. A less stalwart bunch of guardsmen would have started to doubt their cynical view of the world. Wet in tears. Like fucking hell we're gonna give up something as trifling as a single successful mission. We comforted ourselves with the thought that nothing that perfect could ever happen twice. We told ourselves that the next op was practically guaranteed to have a giant colossal fuck up in it, even if we had to supply it ourselves. Boy. Were we right? We moved to another of the major cities on the planet, and once again we set up shop in an incredibly posh house. We went about guardifying it while the rest of the team did their intel-gathering things, but we were much more restrained this time. The success of the previous mission had been humbling. The team had put up with our shit and performed like professionals. The least we could do was be civil. That's not to say we are any more fond of the interrogator or any less sure of the impending disaster. We just didn't see the point of deliberately pissing the rest of the team off while they worked. Even though we were acting more restrained, our paranoia had been ratcheted up several levels by the success. It was just a morose sort of paranoia. Something was inevitably going to go wrong, but no one would ever listen to us or let us take perfectly reasonable security measures. So we just stewed in our makeshift barracks and prepared for all the complex plans to fall apart and dump everything into our laps. Our mood was not improved by Nubby periodically coming in and rambling about his lady love. Ah. Before long, the intel was gathered, the targets were identified, and another magnificent party was scheduled by the interrogator. Once again, the interrogator and her agents put together an incredibly complex plan, which would pull one target after another. The little interrogation room, and by Doc, there were little differences here and there, but it was really the same plan as last time. I had down to this grumpy guardsman sitting in the van where we couldn't get into trouble. We paid careful attention to the briefing this time, quietly tracking down all the way things all the way things could go wrong. When it was over, we retreated to our quarters and started making our own contingencies. We had plans for stopping escaping targets. We had planned for intercepting cultists hunting on our team. One second, take a drink. Mm. I was Mountain Dew. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, we had plans <laughs> for holding off reinforcements. Hell, we even had plans for if the interrogator and the psycho agent both simultaneously turn into demon hosts. Sure, all these plans were more or less apply last fire and explosives until it stops being a problem, but we did have them. The team was amped up and ready for another perfect op. Well, at least Nubby. The agents and the interrogator were, but after several days of morosely speculating about what would go wrong, our squad had the general attitude of condemning. You good? Yeah, yeah, my. <laughs> My, my, my tongue's a little swollen, so sometimes I get a little choked up on words. But we're sure... Why? Be wor- I, think I, I, think I, I think I bit it in my sleep. Uh, th- Eating too uh, much pussy. Yeah, yeah, way, way oh. too much. Um, we weren't sure wow. what would be worse. If even a tenth of our paranoid worries came true, we were all going to die horribly. But if everything went perfectly again, we'd probably have to kill ourselves or join the interrogator fan club with Nubby. Most of us considered death to be the better option. On the night of the party, our squad piled into the van with so much military hardware that we clinked when we walked. We even had las guns and melee weapons, or we had we had mas guns and le- melee weapons, ammos and ammos in med packs, di- several different types of grenades, 
and more debt packs than even Twitch thought we needed. When a guardman, guardsman feels a sense of doom in the air, munitions are his security blanket. Doc was sent off to his little room with a batch of super heavy tranquilizers he had prepped after the slight difficulty last time. He was going to be alone in there, so we gave him a few backup guard issue, combied... I read that as cornbread. <laughs> cornbread. And in direct <laughs> violation of the interrogator's orders... Twitch snuck him a few of his toys. That is to say, Doc was given enough dire- directional minds to blow anyone coming through the front door to Chunky Salsa while simultaneously <laughs> opening an escape route out the back. We sat in the van, jittering and waiting for the either the imp- impending disaster or the most embarrassing moment of our lives. This op would make us, break us, or quite possibly kill us. All we could do was listen to the comms and wait to see which. You should have seen the Logan Sarge's face when the elevator when the elevator the stealthy agent was on suddenly reversed direction and smashed him into the top of the shaft. Shaft. Bottom text. Is it me now or have we reset the order? Yes. It's you. Okay. Grinning like schoolboys, we started piling out of the van even before the agent's scream was cut short by the inevitable. <laughs> As we sprinted for the building, we all felt a deep sense of satisfaction as two of the agents reported they were being followed, and Sarge almost started laughing when the interrogator's order to abort was interrupted by a gurgling scream and comms going down. Twitch actually did start laughing when Doc reported hostiles approaching his position and his intention to blow the mines, then rendezvous with us in the ballroom. We hit the front doors right as Doc's minds went off, and as the explosion shook the building, we kicked in the door, butt-stroked the rent-a-cop standing guard, and headed for firing positions. Nubby and Twitch sprinted up into the balconies to lay down covering fire while Sarge and Cutter started forcing a path through the crowd. It was complete pandemonium in the ballroom. The crowd was panicking, gunfire was coming from several directions, and the hostiles were almost identical to the rest of the partygoers. One agent was already down, another was pinned behind some pillars, and as we got into position, we saw the interrogator retreat out a side door with three cultists in pursuit. Nubby and Twitch made quick work of the cultists they could see, and started sweeping the crowd for hostiles and the original targets. Sergeant Cutter finally made it through the crowd to the surviving agent, where they found several cultists pretending to be guests and waiting for a clear shot. Cutter hit them in the rear and started making cultist hamburger while Twitch and Nubby shot anyone who didn't run from the madman with a sword. Sarge took this chance to run in and grab the pinned agent before more hostiles show up. The ground team was pulling back towards the front doors when the rescued agent spotted one of the targets in the dwindling crowd. Swearing under their breaths, Sarge and Cutter ran after the agent as he closed on a spectacularly fat man. The panic in the room covered the sound of the agent's approach and he managed to land a decent hit with his stunner. But the fat man wasn't completely incapacitated. With startling speed, he popped back onto his feet, locked eyes with the agent and started to draw a weapon. Before he could kill the paralyzed agent, Cutter hit him like a truck and started repeatedly clubbing him over the head with the flat of his chainsword. Once the fat man stopped moving, Sarge pulled Cutter off, and the whole group headed for the exit, dragging the fat man behind them. Twitch saw the cultist follow-up assassins enter the room before anyone else and immediately nailed two of them, prompting the rest to dive into cover. Thinking fast, Sarge took cover behind the wobbling folds of the incapacitated target. and dragged Cutter and the agent down with him. They hunkered down behind the makeshift barricade and hoped to the emperor that 200 kilos kilos kilos, kilos. i'm stupid 
fucking stupid. 200 kilos of blubber would stop small arms fire. Turned out that enough fat is just as good as a bunch of sandbags, and luckily the cultists didn't have anything heavier than handguns. Twitch and Nubby picked off most of the cultists, and the last few decided to stick in cover and wait for reinforcements. Sarge was was considered releasing Cutter to launch a flanking attack on them when Doc poked his head through the door behind the cultists. Oh, also, the that, picture from that. that paragraph is Fat Bastard from Austin Powers. It's great. For, for those listening who can't see and aren't reading along. Doc ducked, backed out of the room, and we all did our best to keep the attention off him for a few seconds. Before long, he stepped out of the door, calmly walked up to a pair of cultists, and tranked, the, tranked them, while behind him, the last missing agent walked in and headshotted the final cultist. The room was empty except for us now, so Twitch and Nubby dropped down the balcony and everyone gathered together to plan the next move. The fat man was thoroughly dead. It turns out that no amount of body mass will let you live through being used as a meat shield to get the half a dozen handguns. (laughs) To our surprise, the two cultists that Doc had so thoughtfully tranked were dead too. Apparently they weren't as gene-stealery as the previous targets had been, and the quintuple-strength trank had instantly killed them. In fact, a quick examination didn't turn up anything gene-stealery about them. We had a vague feeling this was important, but since it was it wouldn't help us survive the current shitstorm, we had filed it away for later. Since we weren't the ones working comms, Sarge took operational command. The two surviving agents were told to fall in behind us, and we made our way out of the building. Uh, I was thinking about this. Um, we should probably explain to Kai what a gene stealer is, if we haven't already, since I got up. That might okay. be a good idea. Gene stealer cultists, um, very similar to chaos warp- worshippers. Only instead of worshiping chaos, they worship Tyranid hive fleets. Yeah, and Tyranids are just like you. You know, Alien. You know the movie Alien. Yeah, that you know but the a Xenomorph. Yeah, yeah. You know the yeah. Xenomorph from Alien. Imagine yeah. if that was one of the. You know how in the hierarchy there's like the chest burster and the face hugger. Yes. For the Tyranids, a Xenomorph is like half of a chest burster. Okay. Basically, they eat That's, things, and the more biomass damn. they consume and, it, like, adds to the fleet, they get larger. And they can make yeah, similar to how similar to how facehuggers impregnate humans, or or what have you, because there's a dog in Alien 3 or whatever, uh, to create the full xenomorph. Um, that's basically how the, the Tyranids do it as well. So, okay. the um, usually the the members of the uh the gene stealer cult are infected with the um tyranid biomass yeah so i, I so believe they're, the, they're mostly human but they can be kind of fucked up a little bit yeah the the first generation gene stealers look look like tyranids but they start impregnating human females and then as like the baby starts to be born and they start to go through more generations they get more and more human looking Interesting. So, so basically, they sh- they show they 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 like show up in the sewers of like a planet. They you know impregnate a woman. A few generations go a, by, and they they slowly in general. They, they slowly assimilate the population, and they get the planet ready for the high fleet um, to consume. As okay. you can see, they're most they're mostly human. They vary in they're, hu- they're in a little humanity. conspicuous. Yeah. 
conspicuously not quite human. Yeah, the ones yeah, that are more but... human are the ones that are like like third and fourth generation. Okay. Interesting. Do they have a, a like a mind thing that they can do to people to make them like not think that something is up? Yeah, it's uh... called be a cult. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like if you see a gene stealer walking around, you're gonna be like, What's up with that guy? <laughs> okay, I, I gotta yeah, level with you. Have you, have like you seen some of the people who live in the Imperium? Okay, yeah, That's they do true. have they do have psychic abilities. Yeah, I mean they are tyrannid oriented. Okay, but have you seen some of the people who live in the Imperium? Yes, I have. Yeah, considering how many fucked up, like, disgusting, irradiated, mutated people live in the Imperium, I'm sure a lot of people look at some of these and they're just like, that's a weird looking guy. Yeah, no, whatever. Do normal people know about Gene Steelers? I don't think they do. No. Gene Steelers are all, like, uh, the scaven. For- fourth generation Gene Steelers are the ones that look the most human. But then the- on the fifth generation, uh, they, like, grow the forearms and shit, and they're back to looking very, uh... What the um, fuck? Why? <laughs> okay. What the fuck? As it says on the wiki, Generation 5, the Puri. Paradoxically, the Gene Stealer's pure strain DNA reemerges in the fifth generation of hybrids since the initial infection, giving birth to a full tyrannid pure strain Gene Stealer, albeit one showing some physical characteristics Ooh, of the original. Some weird noise is going on. Thus, the cycle can begin anew as the new pure strain, strain Gene Stealers have the potential to infiltrate other worlds and become a Gene Stealer patriarch, which is basically the alien queen. Huh. There are also orc really gene stealer hybrids as well. The fuck? They, 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 they don't like to... The, the orcs are a bit of a dead end for them, but they do exist. Because, like, the orcs don't have, like, a oh. human society for... Like, they don't have a human-type society for them to infiltrate. So it's kind of just, like, if there aren't any Not hosts available, just... then fi- fine, we'll make some orcs. Not to mention, they just don't have a very long life expectancy in the place. So you're very liable to just get killed as a Nork. There's a helicopter above my house, so I had to mute. Ah, it's all good. Yeah, Gene Stealers they're really dangerous. Now that the society's over, we should probably continue. Yes. Yes. Whose turn is it? Sergio is still in the oh, middle oh of Oh yeah, days. I should pr- probably also mention yeah. they aren't fucking anybody. They have an ovipositor that they shove down your mouth like a... Almost like the Predalien like, like in a in a Alien versus Predator Requiem, and they they pump you full of the. Well, Is that well, the name the, of the movie? Oral. Oh, so see, so they they pump their DNA into you, like 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 they they literally pump DNA into you. It changes your own DNA, and then you have your kids not realizing that you're continuing the the gene stealer uh, race. Yeah, I don't think it's all. I don't think it's only female they infected. They only females they infect. I think it's just. Oh whoever. yeah, yeah. Both both men and women get to be throat raped. Because the way the way you kind of worded it before was it was like only women, which is not how it goes. Yeah, no. I it, it's been a while since I I had to read back up on my gene stealer lore. But aside enough, e- don't click. Don't click. Equal don't, opportunity. Don't yeah. Equal opportunity. Uh, sexual harassment. Don't don't clip me saying. <laughs> the throat rape comment. Someone will, and they'll cancel me on Twitter about it. But, um... Uh, where were we? Uh, um... I think you were right in the middle. Yeah, I, theoretically. 
Uh, theoretically, we should have tried to find the rest of the team first, uh, but we knew one agent was dead, and judging by the comm traffic, um, the others were two. The others were two. Nubby and the surviving agents argued for finding the interrogator, but Sarge decided she was a big girl who could handle herself, so we all headed for base instead. We carefully made our way to the front door and got ready for the completely exposed sprint to the van. Right as Sarge was about to give the order to run, the van exploded in a fireball that took out every other vehicle in the lot. We all looked at Twitch, who shuddered, shrugged, and muttered about making sure nobody tampered with it. Well. Hold on, I'm um, chewing pizza crust. Okay. Read. So no shit, there we were. Standing outside of a building full of corpses, most of which we were responsible for, with no vehicle, no form of inquisitorial identification, and a the rapidly approaching sound of sirens. Judging by the arm that landed next to Doc, a bunch of cultists had tried to mess with our van and ran afoul of Twitch's perimeter defenses. But no one shot the agents when we were sent when we sent them to check on the wreckage, so we assumed that none of the hostiles were left. We could have hotwired a nearby vehicle and led the cops on a daring chase, or we could have had the social agent try to bluff them, or we could have gone silently into custody and awaited rescue by the interrogator, or we could have even tried to fight our way through an entire city's worth of cops. Instead, we decided to just walk home. (laughs) (laughs) The agents weren't exactly happy about this decision. None of us were disguised, they said. It was a 20-kilometer walk, they said. We were in plain sight, they said. And we were all obviously carrying weapons, they said. We ignored them, though. And as we walked, Sarge calmly explained that no same copper was going to ask a bunch of guardsmen why they were carrying their weapons with them on leave. Especially not when the, especially when there was, especially not when there was something much more important to deal with. He did acknowledge that the point about it being 20 clicks back to base, though. So after a few blocks, he found a train and rode home with some very scared-looking administratum workers. Those of us with proper guard issue common sense caught some of some much needed rest while we traveled. The agents just sat there, worried about their precious interrogator. The sun was almost up, and when we got the base, when we got the base, and the agents were dead on their feet. Doc opened the front door and nearly lost a hand when the interrogator fired several bolt rounds through it. But after a bit of careful negotiation, we convinced her to let us in. She seemed surprised that we survived. It was a bit insulting, really. I don't get what the references in this next image they have here. Anybody recognize it? No. Alright, it's just an old white guy in a suit looking down solemnly in a a sepia-toned picture with the text, Why didn't you stop it? And there's a lot lot of crosses. Yes, there are people. Oh, oh, it's a... Oh, okay, yeah, it's a graveyard. I don't know what the... I don't know what the... I don't know who um, that is. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. On oh, no. he looks like John Hurt. Ouch. He does. <laughs> well, I'm gonna read it. It's called. I can't find the uh, the origin of the image. Sad. I tried to reverse image search it, but all it gave me was more old guardsman party. <laughs> Weird. They probably custom made it for this one then. After the interrogator put the bolt pistol down. We all filed in, and Sarge gave the squad's report. Doc and the agents filled in the bits he wasn't there for, and we painted a pretty clear picture of the cultist's attack, our swift response, and the rescue of the agents. Sarge also made sure to mention the attempt to capture the fat man, 
and the lack of gene stealer characteristics on the cultists, but the interrogator wasn't exactly impressed with this information. Instead, she asked some very pointed questions about why the interrogation room had been filled with explosives, why we had to have deployed without orders, and whose idea it was to rig the van with proximity mines. Well, for the most part, we just stood there and ignored the questions in traditional guardsman fashion, but Twitch made a few unkind comments about the interrogator's retreat, which she graciously decided to ignore. Eventually, the interrogator got tired of yelling at us and told the whole team to pack their gear up and get into the flyer in the garage. She decided that this part of the mission was beyond salvage and ordered an immediate purge by the PDF. We had less than an hour to get our shit together and get the hell out of there before the killing started. None of us were happy about the purge order. A whole lot of civvies were going to be killed, and the PDF grunts were going to be pretty messed up by the end of the purge, but in the end, it was the interrogator's call to make. We didn't have any clever suggestions, and she clearly wasn't interested in listening to our half-baked plans, so we kept our mouths shut. Well, even if we had a real idea for fixing the situation, we couldn't have stopped the purge without the interrogator's rosette. So, feeling like our heroic rescue had been for literally nothing, we collected everything we could carry, got on the team's flyer, and awaited further orders. We hadn't even finished stowing our gear when the interrogator and two agents sprinted into the flyer in full combat gear. The agents jumped into pilot seats, and we immediately took off while the interrogator told us that one of the other teams had requested aid. The interrogator explained that the other team was on its way to deal with a nest of cultists and expected heavy resistance, so our team would make calm contact and act as reinforcements as soon as we arrived. We cracked open our supplies and started gearing up for a big fight as we flew. This time it would be a straightforward battle and we would be ready. Far below us, Laz and artillery fire started to spread across the city. Squad was in a grim mood. Thousands, if not millions, of Imperial citizens were dying below us. And it was all because our team had botched a single op. We looked back on the sense of smug satisfaction we felt when the interrogator's plan had fallen apart and felt a little ashamed. This wasn't just about proving ourselves right and keeping our asses safe. There were millions of lives on the line here. The entire squad vowed that this would not happen again, and each one of us swore that we would do our damnedest to aid the other teams and complete this mission objectives. Except for Twitch, that is. Instead, the Nutter swore that he would put a stop to the interrogator's nefarious plans to harvest his precious bodily fluids. Doc hit Twitch and told him to stop plotting to kill our superior officer unless Sarge told him to. We were all locked, loaded, and ready for action. When we entered the other team's territory, the interrogator made comm contact. She reported that the second team was pinned down in a building by several well-armed cultists and hostile reinforcements were probably on the way. We would, uh, we would land on a nearby roof, get into position, and then take out the attackers and any other cultists while the team inside finished their mission. The agents would stay in the flyer and give air support if needed. As soon as the flyer touched down, we fanned out across the edge of the roof and started setting up for one hell of a sneak attack. Targets below us were obviously professional, since they were spread across several pieces of cover, had military-grade weaponry, and were maintaining fire discipline. Since these guys were head and shoulders above the cultists we had fought earlier, Sarge had told us to hold fire and pick our targets for a massive opening salvo. Before any of us could finish setting up our shots, though, the interrogator ran to the edge of the roof and started pouring bolt fire into the cultists below. They responded instantly, every one of them turning towards the roof and laying down suppressive fire. We all immediately hit the deck, believing the interrogator is the only clear target. She threw up a force shield, but she wasn't a powerful, offensive psyker, and after a few seconds, she collapsed the screen. When Nubby saw this, he burst out of cover and started hosing last fire back at the cultist with no regard for his personal safety. Doc barely managed to pull him to the ground before their return fire killed him. Sarge took stock of the situation, decided 
pinned it, it was salvageable and assumed operational command. Figuring he needed some form of identification for when he reached the other team, he grabbed the moaning interrogator's bolt pistol with its obvious uh, Inquisitor eye marking and then ordered Twitch to take her back to the flyer. Twitch grumbled and pulled the limp interrogator over his shoulder, then slowly started to slowly haul her towards the, towards the flyer, complaining loudly that she wasn't even trying to walk. Sarge decided that the squad's current positions were fucked, so he gave the order to pop smokes and flashes and get into new ones. While we shifted positions, Sarge started flipping through frequencies in his comm bead in an attempt to contact the other team and coordinate an attack. We were still waiting for the smoke to clear and the fight to resume when Cutter spotted the cultist reinforcements coming in on their own flyer. We'd been ready for something like this, though. Both Sarge and Nubby had brought heavy ordnance along. Nubby got his launcher ready, and as soon as the flyer came to range, he nailed it with a flak missile. The shot wasn't perfect, and the pilot managed to make a crash landing at the edge of the smoke screen. But Sarge raced his nade launcher and dropped several rounds into it before anyone could get out. That, that done with, he went back to scanning the comm channels and finally made contact uh, with the other team. Sarge asked for a sit rep, and we all got patched. We all got passionate just in time to hear our situation is foobar. We're pun- pinned down by several heavily armed con- cultists, and someone just fragged our interrogator's flyer. Whoops. Uh oh. That was a little embarrassing, but these sort of things happen in combat, and we were still in the middle of a fight. Sarge told them that we had eyes on the cultists and would deal with things while the other team sat tight. As the smoke cleared, he started dropping nades onto every piece of cover he could see while the rest of us waited for him to flesh out the targets. A few seconds later, the other team voxed back and told us to bloody hurry! Was there dropping nades right on our heads here? Double whoops. This screw-up was too big to be entirely our fault. In fact, there was no way that a screw-up this big could be accidental. After all, the interrogator had been in calm contact with the other team the whole time, and had been the first one to open fire. We all turned our heads towards Twitch and the interrogator and watched in horror as she sprang upright with Twitch's last pistol in her hand. Twitch reacted with lightning speed and threw himself backwards, but before he hit the ground, she drew a bead on his head. She met his eyes, and then with the most beautiful smile in the entire... Damn. This was Twitch's last pistol, though. Its owner was a man who once put direct- directional charges on the black... Ba- oh my fucking shit. I can't read. Welcome to So You Think You're Gonna Read, the only podcast where we're actually all illiterate. Ouch. <laughs> okay. Its owner was a man who once put directional charges on the back plate of his armor just to make sure no one snuck up behind him. There was an ominous hum when the trigger was depressed. The smile faded, and a second later, the pistol's power cell went off like a small grenade, taking the bitch's hand with it. It really shouldn't have surprised any of us that Twitch had booby-trapped his weapons. He'd regularly told us to never, ever, touch any of his stuff without asking first. It surprised us anyway, though, and we all stared at the explosion like a bunch of dumb recruits. This meant that every one of us was dazzled by the explosion, which blew Twitch and the interrogator in opposite directions. As most of us tried to blink the spots out of our vision, Cutter charged for the downed interrogator while swearing at the top of his lungs. Cutter was damn fast, but he had a lot of distance to cover and the interrogator was back on her feet in seconds. She sprinted for the flyer and one of the agents poked his head out of the door to see what the hell was going on. 
when he saw a badly wounded interrogator running for safety, while Twitch blindly sprayed Laz's fire and cut her bore down on her by revving his chainsword and screaming for blood. So in retrospect, his decision to draw his sidearm and give her some covering fire was pretty reasonable. Reasonable or not, it still screwed us, though. Cutter had to start dodging shots and only caught up right as the interrogator was boarding the flyer. Cutter made a good attempt at removing the interrogator's pretty head, but he was forced to dodge at the last second by the agent. The interrogator's counterstroke nearly impaled Cutter, but he fell back and only took a minor stab wound from her force sword. This gave the agent enough time to slam the door shut, and the flyer started to take off as Cutter futilely hacked at the door with his chainsword. The moment the interrogator broke for the flyer, Star Charge started trying to raise the agent on the comm, but to his absolute disgust, he found that the interrogator had locked the whole squad out of the team's network. So with no way to get our side of story across, we just stood there and watched the flyer take off. Our paralysis lasted until we realized that it was coming around for a strafing run. It didn't surprise any of us that the agents had sided with their precious little interrogator. Later on, we might try to bring them around, but right then they were assaulting our enemy and trying to kill us. We all scattered and managed to avoid the first salvo from the flyer's nose gun. Thinking fast, Doc grabbed the missile launcher from a stunned nubby and located, loaded up our backup flak round. Doc wasn't exactly a pro at using a heavy weapon, but it was, pretty, it was a pretty near miss, and he definitely got a chunk off the flyer. Sarge supplemented this with some air burst grenades from his launcher, and between the two of them, we convinced the flyer that we just weren't worth the trouble. It turned tail and limped into the distance. We all stand there trying to figure out what the hell just happened. We were brought back to reality by the sound of fighting from the street below. The cultists in the building were laying heavy fire onto the poor buggers. We'd done best our level to best our level best to team kill. Doc went to see a slightly crispy twitch and slightly stabbed cutter, while Sarge and Nubby pumped the rest of the squad's grenade and missile launcher rounds into the building. This went a long ways to convincing the other team that our previous attacks had all been a misunderstanding. The barrage of explosives pretty much leveled the building, and none of the surviving cultists decided to stay and fight. Neither our squad or the team below was positioned to give chase, so we all withdrew and tried our best to sort everything out over the comm. We explained the situation as best as we could, and, mostly thanks to the former guardswoman on their team, we eventually convinced them that this was all our interrogator's fault. The problem was that we didn't really have any idea what to do about it. We were just a bunch of grunts, and the other team was down a guard, down to a guardswoman, a psyker, an arbite, and a pair of badly wounded clerics. Apparently the interrogator and all of their team's nerds had been on the flyer that Sergeant Nubby had blown to pieces. We blamed that one on the agents in the flyer when they asked who had shot it down. None of us had any great ideas about how to track down the interrogator, so we all decided to fall back to the other team's safe house and see if we could raise the third team's interrogator. We hotwired a pair of vans, and as soon as we headed for their bases, Doc did his best to fix up the two wounded clerics. Neither of them were going to be back in the fight any of the, any uh, back in the fight anytime soon, though. On the brighter side, Twitch had lost his eyebrows and needed a new pair of pants, but was otherwise fine. And Cutter hadn't even noticed the shallow stab wound he took as he was more con- far more concerned about the teeth of his chainsword the teeth his chainsword had lost when he tried to cut open the flyer the rest of the squad was completely unharmed but nubby was deeply depressed over the interrogator's treachery we tried to be understanding but it was hard especially when he started spinning theories about what have, what could have forced her into betraying us all when we got to the safe house we all went back we all went about reloading and re- rearming ourselves while Sarge and the guardswoman tried to contact the third team, 
Luckily, there was a backup flyer parked at the safe house. We started moving everything we might need into it in case the third interrogator wanted us to join him. After only a few minutes of this, we started to hear the distinctive sounds of heavy artillery and last fire in the distance. Sorry about that. <clears throat> we quickly realized that our interrogator had called in another purge for emperor knows what reason. Being inside an inexorably shrinking military cordon is bad, so we decided it was time to get the hell out of Dodge. We loaded up the wounded and the last of the supplies we could carry, and then the Arbite got us into the air while Sarge and the guardswoman tried to use the flyer's vox to reach the local authorities. We were wildly unsuccessful in our attempts to convince the PDF to stop the purge, for orders had been given by someone with a genuine inquisitorial rosette and emperor-helped man who defies the Inquisition. Sarge failed miserably when he tried to explain that we were the Inquisition, as without a rosette to prove it, no one would believe him. He considered going back to look for the second team's rosette, but since their interrogator had been wearing it when we blew him to pieces, that idea was very quickly abandoned. Eventually, the PDF must have reported our attempts to stop the purge with the interrogator because they suddenly got very interested in where we were voxing them from. We quickly deactivated our vox in case they could trace it and watch the fireworks below us while we made our third team's last known position. We spent a lot of time talking during the flight. None of the shit made any sense to us, and we had no idea what to do about it. Initially, we asked Twitch what the interrogator's plan was, since he'd been sure she was planning to kill us the entire time, but he quickly devolved into theories about precious bodily fluids. Nubby wasn't helping either. He kept insisting that this was all some sort of misunderstanding, and the interrogator was a sweet girl who would never hurt a fly. We weren't going to get anything useful out of either of them, so we put our heads together with the rest of the team and tried to figure this shit out. Looking back, it was sort of weird that the cultists at the party hadn't been gene-stealery or cared about shooting the fat man. So we decided that they must have been the interrogator's friends, and the plan had been to wipe out the whole team. If that was her main goal, though, she could have killed us all in far simpler ways, so we figured that it was supposed to look like an accident. We didn't really see a point, though. If she wanted to order purges, it provided a nice justification. and But she hadn't ordered a general purge on the first cult. Maybe she wanted to perpetrate a mass murder and still pass her Inquisitor test or something. Anyway, it was definitely her plan to get us into a fight with the other team and presumably have us wipe each other out. We didn't really see a reason for it either, but maybe she just wanted to kill the other team and figured she'd take out two birds with one stone. It made a stupid sort of sense if she was low on cultist manpower and afraid of people trying to stop her purges. Her reason for the purges was still a mystery, though. All we knew was that she wasn't working with the gene stealers, since they weren't going to live through the purges either. In the end, we decided that she was just an utter bitch and tried to catch what sleep we could before the flight ended. We woke to the sound of more artillery fire. We were over the city where the last team was supposed to be working, and we all recognized this shitstorm below us. The damned bitch had ordered another purge. We were pretty sure she couldn't have ordered this one without either enlisting or killing the third interrogator, but it didn't hurt to check. We turned the Vox back on, called the third team, and to our surprise, we actually got them on the first try. Sarge immediately explained that our interrogator had gone nuts, tried to get us to kill the other team, and was running around ordering mass purges for generic evil reasons. Unfortunately, the bitch had had their interrogator under her thumb, so the only response we got was an order to surrender to the Inquisition and seek mercy for our sins. That was bullshit, so we turned the Vox back off, started to debate the merits of catching a ride back to Oak's ship, hanging out on some tropical island until the all blew over, or even getting a job on a rogue trader. Our boss was an evil bitch who got off on ordering mass purges 
nearest other official was totally whipped by said evil bitch. Several major cities were needlessly being genocided, and no one on this damn planet would listen to us unless we had one of their rosettes. Everything was a horrible bloody mess and shouldn't have been our job to sort it out. Our plans for desertion came to a sudden halt when the psyker from the second team started freaking out. We hadn't known the psyker for very long, but he didn't seem like the type to randomly start screaming. So while Doc saw to him, we all started looking out the windows and checking the sensors for anything warpy going on. The problem quickly became apparent. A pair of massive glowing lines shot in different directions across the ground from under us. A second later, this was followed by dozens of smaller lines, which formed eldritch symbols all across the cities below. We weren't exactly geniuses, but it didn't take a place of to see this was some serious warp shit. And the two glowing lines were sending t- t- towards the other cities that the interrogator had ordered purged. Even though none of us were sure what was going on, everyone was pretty sure it was all her fault. The situation was going to shit at an incredible speed. The only thing we could think to do was to get our hands on one of the two remaining rosettes and use it to tell everyone to stop being our, our word. So we stayed on course for the third team's base in hopes that the both interrogators would still be there. While we flew, everyone geared up. While we flew, everyone geared up for a fight. We weren't exactly going to act nicely and appeal to reason, then be really surprised when they all sided with the hot chick over a bunch of scruffy guardsmen. We were going to hit them hard and let the Emperor sort them out. After this shit was over, we could argue with any survivors while Doc tried to reattach their limbs. We sold the remnants of the second team on our plan. The guardswoman and the whimpering, whimpering psyker would come back with us while the Arbite handled the flyer and kept an eye on the two wounded clerics still chilling in the back. The plan, the, the plan was pretty simple. Bust in. Head for the two interrogators. Kill or subdue anyone in the way, and hopefully grab one of those damn rosettes intact. And it was going to be a tight and brutal fight. Several well-trained hostiles, a lot of walls of varying thickness, an enemy who knew the train better than us, severe consequences for failure, and to top it all off, or to top it off, it looked like the safe house was located halfway up the damn tower. Not only was it going to be a rough fight, but we also had to figure out a way to get inside without running into an ambush. Good thing we had a flyer. Now, this flyer didn't have any weapons, so we really couldn't use it for air support. It did have a nice amount of armor, though, and the third team safe house had some big, nice windows. A few minutes later, we finally forced open the flyer's doors and started digging our way out of the pile of safety glass wall fragments and destroyed furniture we had created in our landing. I love this next picture. It's a fucking I, I also, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Tau battle suit uh, flying ninja kicking an ultramarine in the face. Yeah, it's a Naruto reference. I hate it. Farsight. It's a Farsight enclave Tau and a ultramarine. I could make a joke out of that. You could. You're not I won't. To. Yeah, read. All things considered, it was incredibly lucky that we were the first ones out of the wreckage. As we stumbled out of the crippled flyer, we saw several hostiles struggling to get free, and we took the chance to hit them with some of Doc's now normal strength tranks. We congratulated ourselves on successfully breaching the perimeter without even killing any other inquisitorial agents. Eh, probably. Truly, we were the pinnacle of professionalism. After we finished... Patting ourselves on the back over our dynamic entry, we formed up and started making our way deeper into the safe house. We knew how to clear a building and had plenty of flash grenades, so we moved from room to room at a steady pace, flashing, sweeping, and securing. The first few rooms were all empty, but before long we ran into a pair of adepts who practically shit themselves when we flashed them. We clubbed them down, secured their hands and feet, and then asked them a few questions about where exactly everyone was. The adepts were actually very helpful. They made a few feeble attempts to defy us, but after Sarge hauled them both to a window and pointed out the glowing shit, both adepts came our way, came uh, came around to our way of thinking. 
They also found Cutter's explanation of how the three strikes rule works with the chainsword very, very persuasive. They pointed us towards a set of rooms that belonged to the third team's interrogator and confirmed that our former interrogator was in there with him. We taped them to the wall and made our way towards the interrogators, and there was going to be a... There are two good ways to clear a hostile building. You either want to hit hard and fast with several teams working together to take out the enemy before they concentrate their forces, or you want to move in stealthily and take out small groups of enemies while avoiding major ones. Unfortunately, the small size of our team and our arrival via a crashing flyer meant that these good options weren't really possible. We were stuck with the sorta almost okay option of just moving carefully and praying to the Emperor that we'd spot the inevitable ambush before it was sprung. We didn't. We methodically worked our way towards the room where the interrogators were supposed to be. We had it down to a science. Every room went the same. Check the door, get into position, flash, storm, realize the room was empty, and move on to the next door. The lack of opposition was unsettling, and we were all on pins and needles when we got to a door that was sturdier than any of the others we'd seen. If the adepts had been telling the truth, both the interrogators were inside. We got into position and readied our weapons, while Twitch checked the door for traps and quietly unlocked it. Sarge got a firm grip on the handle, cooked a flash, cracked the door open, and tossed it through. Before he even started to close the door, the grenade bounced off something in midair and sailed right back through. Sarge managed to get out an oh shit before the flash went off about eight inches in front of his face. Sarge's shout triggered the bone-deep reflexes that all guardsmen developed, and the rest of us managed to turn away. Everyone was still dazzled and deafened, but at least we weren't completely blind. Also, our turn meant that we just happened to be looking right in the right direction. When the two agents dropped in through the ceiling, they landed on our flanks in perfect crossfire positions, and even though we were all deafened, we could feel heavy boots pounding towards the door. Thank the Emperor that one of the agents came down next to Twitch and Cutter. The agent that came down next to Twitch and Cutter was the social one we had gone through such trouble to rescue back at the party, and as he landed, he raised a pair of auto pistols. He had about a quarter second to look surprised before a full auto burst hit him in the chest, a chainsword hit him in the neck. That taught him to be ungrateful to his rescuers. The second agent landed next to the guardswoman and the psyker. Neither of them had the reaction time as good as Twitch and Cutter. Before the guardswoman managed to ra- raise her last gun, the agent landed a brutal kick on her head, raised his auto gun, and opened fire on the 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 psyker and Nubby. Poor bastard didn't have a chance to do anything, but his death gave Nubby the split second he needed. With Weasley speed, Nubby got behind the collapsing psyker and held him up like a shield while he sprayed the agent with wild last fire. The Emperor was with Nubby. Several of the unaimed shots hit the agent and Doc's follow-up salvo finished the job. The entire fight had taken just a few seconds, and the smoke from the flash was still fading. As the second agent crumpled to the ground, the psyker was dead, and the guardswoman was groggily cursing the dead agent. A barely conscious Sarge was lying on the floor. But the rest of us were okay. We had about two seconds to take stock of the situation, where the, bur- the door burst off its hinges and landed squarely on Sarge. <coughs> the door was followed by a pair of heavily armored arbites carrying shields and shock mauls. Shields raised, they stood right on top of the door and looked really confused when they saw an entire squad of guardsmen facing them with weapons raised. There was a brief pause while the arbites realized that the agents were already dead. We all stared at the feebly cursing lump being crushed under a heavy door and 300 kilos of arbites. Then Cutter ran in with a scream, and the fight was on. 
Cutter did most of the work this time. There's just really no good way to use a suppression shield to stop both Last Fire and a Maniac with a chainsword. The Arbite on the Arbite on the left made a decent attempt at it, though. He held off several strikes from Cutter and shots from Twitch and Doc while his buddy kept Nubby and the guardswoman from shooting him in the back. Couldn't keep it up, though. A thrust from Cutter's sword nearly made it through, and the Arbite parried the strike right into his buddy's back. The wounded Arbite staggered forward and removed over a hundred kilos of meat and armor from Sarge's back. With a roar of rage, Sarge pushed himself upward and managed to unbalance the Arbite that was still on top of him. We all seized the opportunity, and several volleys of last fire got past the Arbite's shields, ending the fight. While the rest of us restrained the badly wounded Arbites and hauled them out of the way, Sarge slowly pushed himself off the floor. With a pain groan, he got his feet under him and lifted the reinforced door, complaining about his weight and cursing Arbites in general as he did so. Right as Sarge managed to get upright, his curses were interrupted. A pair of bolt rounds came through the doorway and slammed into the remains of the door and his back. The door took the brunt of the damage, but Sarge was thrown forwards and slammed into the wall headfirst. This was the final straw, and Sarge slipped into unconsciousness as Doc hastily grabbed him and dragged him out of the line of fire. From inside the room, we heard the third team's interrogator yell at us to surrender in the name of the Holy Inquisition. A quick peek revealed that both he and the bitch were holed up behind a makeshift barricade and had bolt pistols trained on the door. So no shit, there we were. Standing outside a room containing a pair of hostile and well-armed interrogators manning a prepared position with no non-com to tell us what to do. Up to now, we had always looked to Sarge when the going got tough, but he was out for the count. Twitch and Nubby immediately started arguing with each other. Cutter sat on one of the wounded Arbites and worked on dislodging a piece of armor from his chainsword. Doc got Sarge comfortable in a corner, and the guardswoman stared at us like we were a bunch of R-words. Eventually, Doc got tired of the guardswoman, giving him the stink eye, and decided that it was his duty as the only sane member of the squad to take charge. He put down his medkit, hefted his lasgun, crept as close to the doorway as was safe, and politely asked the third team's interrogator if he'd consider surrendering the bitch to us. This resulted in a brief, astonished silence and several bolt rounds sailing through the open doorway. All right, I'm going to start reading now. Doc was not deterred, though. As the rest of the squad watched in disbelief as he repeatedly tried to convince the two interrogators to stand down, it was really something to see. Doc standing against the wall and calmly laying out our grievances and arguing into inquisitorial regulations, especially considering that they would periodically fire bolt rounds at him. The crazy part is that he was actually seeming to be making progress. The more he argued, the more thoughtful the third team's interrogator sounded and the more furious the bitch sounded. The tipping point was when the guards went chimed in, confirmed Doc's story, and asked the interrogator to look out the window at the glowing warpy stuff. We heard him get up, walk towards the window, and exclaim about it being a threefold sacrificial ritual. A second later, we heard the distinctive sound of the bitch's foresword, a meaty thunk and the most sulfurous swearing to ever come out of such a beautiful mouth. The good news is that there was just one hostile interrogator now. Diplomacy wasn't going to work this time, though Nubby made a few attempts which only resulted in more swearing and bullfire. We wanted to rush her, but our former interrogator was a damn good markswoman, and none of us were keen to try trading shots with her. We started trying other things, like grenades and blasting holes in the walls. Unfortunately, we quickly discovered that the walls were too sturdy to blast through without collapsing the building, and she bounced every grenade back with her damn telekinesis. The best we could do was pop a smoke on our position and hope it wafted towards her. Uh, warrior waft. Wafted. 
We were running out of options that wouldn't result in one of us getting shot when Doc remembered the, the Arbite shields. Two of us could charge under charge in under smoke cover and then try to flank her while the rest of the squad gave suppressing fire from the door. Hopefully the shields would hold long enough to get close to her and allow the rest of the team a chance to move forward. I'm just going to say that charging a bolt pistol with a shield is a bad idea. Cutter was an obvious choice for rushing in, but it suppressed the hell out of us when Nubby volunteered to carry the other shield. This behavior was very suspicious coming from Nubby. We reminded him that the interrogator was a heretical super bitch, but he just wouldn't listen. He insisted that she was a nice girl who just got stuck running with a bad crowd. We pointed out that she tried to kill us all. He said that our, most of our superior officer had too. We pointed out that she had killed the other interrogator. He said that we'd been planning to do that too, so we shouldn't judge her for it. Finally, Doc pointed out that she had stabbed Cutter and would stab Nubby too if she got the chance. Nubby maintained that lots of people have stabbed Cutter. I'm not worried. I think she likes me deep down. <laughs> we gave up at this point point. just gave him the damn shield. With any luck, Cutter would get to her first and chop her head off before Nubby had a chance to be R-worded. We got ready, popped the smoke, and Nubby and Cutter ran towards opposite sides of the room. Cutter was faster, by far, but right as he got close, the interrogator landed a grenade at his feet while staggering him with bolt rounds. Cutter leapt backwards in time, but the blast still sent him and his shield flying across the room. Nubby took advantage of the distraction, though. We all heard a clang as he clubbed the bolt pistol out of our hands, and another as he knocked her to the ground. The rest of us started moving forwards but stopped in sheer shock when we heard the interrogator surrender to Nubby. She admitted that she'd been forced to work against the Imperium by evil heretics who would kill her if she disobeyed. She just wanted to be safe. We cleared the smoke and watched in amazement as he reached down and helped her up, quietly telling her that he'd make it sure it all worked out as he did so. He'd protect her from the bad people. No one would ever hurt her again. Then in a fluid movement, she drew her force sword, swung in a circle, and bolted for large for a large security at the end, far end of the room as Nubby fell to the ground, screaming. Twitch and the guardswoman opened fire on her as she ran, but her damn shield held out just long enough for her to pass through the door and lock it behind her. Doc ran over to Nubby and found him lying a full meter from his legs. It was a bad wound, but the cut had been across the thighs, not the belly. Thinking fast, Doc put a tourniquet on both legs and started a blood transfusion. While he worked, he lectured Nubby about the importance of critical thinking and listening to other people's advice. Twitch, the guardswoman, and a moderately wounded cutter walked over to the security door to see if they could get through it. To their surprise, it wasn't an escape passage. It was a panic room. A little fiddling got the comm screen working and they retreated to the sight of a furious interrogator sitting in the middle of a small rune-covered room with a bloody sword in hand. A bit more poking let them find the transmit switch, and Twitch formally placed the interrogator under arrest and ordered her to turn over the rosette and any bodily fluid she had stolen. She burst into laughter at this. To everyone's surprise, the interrogator actually started monologuing once she had finished laughing. Her defeat by a band of dubiously competent guardsmen had apparently unhinged her. Her brethren had spent years preparing this ritual. The blood of innocents slain by their very protectors would fuel a warp storm, which would tear this entire blah blah blah, I'm a heretical super bitch, blah blah. When she started ranting about the glory of chaos, Twitch, Cutter, and the guardswoman quickly became bored and walked away from the intercom, leaving the inferiority infuriated interrogator shouting about being able to watch us all die to the horrors of the warp before they claimed her while the guardswoman went to help doc and cutter guard the security door 
Twitch wandered over to the headless interrogator. He poked the dead man with his lasgun. In the official guard method for determining the ickiness of a corpse, then grudgingly started going through the man's pockets when the guardswoman shouted at him to stop being a pansy. Twitch found the rosette pinned to the interrogator's high collar. Well, most of it. The top quarter of the little device was feebly sparking in the puddle of blood spreading from the severed head. Twitch got out his roll of duct tape and went to work, but the end result didn't look very inquisitorial. Also, the data jack was full of... Fluids. Come. On the other <sighs> side of the room, come. Just like white snakes is white snakes like fucking thick cum everywhere. Um, but no. Is that uh, a JoJo reference? That is Wow. A, no, actually it's a reference to the band White Snake. Wow. Doc was finishing the field dressing while still giving Nubby shit. The subject had finally come around to how important it had been to get an inquisitorial rosette, how Nubby fucked it all up. Amazingly, this got a response out of the semi-conscious Nubby. Ed Doc, do you remember how Sod said I should stop going through people's pockets? Well, when I was helping her up, I started thinking about that fast, fancy bracelet of hers. It was so important. I figured that if she was being all bossed around and by chaos and such, she probably shouldn't be allowed to keep it. So I nicked it while she was busy cutting me legs off. Just like that, we won. <laughs> The little shit's kleptomania had saved us all. Just years of telling Nubby to stop stealing people's stuff, he grabbed the one thing that really mattered. He's still an idiot, though. Doc grabbed the rosette off of Nubby, tossed it to the guardswoman, told her to calm the PDF as fast as possible. We had completely destroyed the third team's comm systems, but the Villers Flyers Vox was still intact. The Arbiti and the guardswoman started arguing with PDF officers and government officials in the wrecked cockpit, but they're still trying to get the brass series and stop feeding the giant sacrificial circle. Seriously, it was all glowing and shit. The rest of us decided to decided what to do about the interrogator. She had really started freaking out when she realized the rosette was missing, but the sign sight of Cutter chilling outside her door with his chainsword ready had con convinced her to stay inside we either need to kill her or capture her and as attractive as the first option was it would be much easier to smooth things over with oak if we were able to turn her over the debate ended when sarge pried himself up staggered and ordered twitch to weld the panic room shut with sarge bossing us around we started getting shit done again twitch blast welded the panic room shut doc went to help convince the pdf to stop being rorted and cutter started dragging all the wounded together for triage Sarge and Nubby just sort of hung out and basked in the sound of the interrogator's outrage. <clears throat> As the purges were called off, the giant glowy runes faded away, and the interrogator's curses attained a whole new level of venom. That venom faded after Twitch found the panic room's air intake and sealed that shut too. We all sat around and watched as she slowly ran out of fresh air and passed out, and we waited a little bit longer. When Doc finally decided that she was either comatose or too hypoxic to cause trouble, we cut open the doors, dragged her out, tranked her, and left her in Doc's very capable hands. Sarge became... You have to be really hypoxic to stop causing trouble. I've seen some hypoxic-ass people <laughs> yeah. do some crazy shit Yeah, without drugs involved for once. Sarge became the de facto interrogator at this point. The second team had been reduced to two functional members, and what remained of the third team was being restrained by a few dozen rolls of duct tape until the situation could be explained to them. A flyer was requisitioned, and Sarge took the guardswoman and Arbiti to go sort out everything with the local authorities, while everyone else stayed in the wrecked tower. The situation was explained in broad terms. A cordon was to be put around all three cities, and the surgical strikes and the sealed orders were carried out. But no more mass purges would be done until a fully 
certified inquisitor ordered it. Sarge told all the brass and bigwigs to just sit tight and wait for the guard regiment to arrive with their senior inquisitor. They'd be able to sort out the chaos room bullshit and decide whether the gene stealer cults warranted. We used the rosette to requisition a ride from the Navy. We made sure everything was sort of stable before we left, but as far as we were concerned, our mission now consisted of getting the interrogator back to Oak as soon as possible. The guardswoman who had helped us through the last battle decided to stay with the Arbite. I'm still saying Arbite. The two wounded clerics Thank you for being and on the rest team. of the third team. Yeah, it's way better. The local authorities needed the help of some people who knew how gene stealers worked while they waited for the Inquisitor to show up. After Sergeant requisitioned our ride home and convinced the Navy we were serious people, he handed the rosette over to her. Hopefully she would keep things from going all to shit before help arrived. As a sort of afterthought, we formally invited her to hang out with our regiment if she ever got back to base. That done with, we packed up our gear wounded dumbass and sedated interrogator then we got the hell off the planet so joe yes sedating a person for a long period of time doesn't really work they tend to spontaneously die or just not wake up very true anytime you see like somebody just like knock somebody out in like with a gas or something in uh like fiction some of those people should honestly just be dead yes this isn't an issue if you have a stasis pod, but it's not something you can get on most Imperial frigates, so we had to improvise a little bit. Letting the interrogator sit in a cell was an invitation to disaster. It wouldn't be a day before she convinced some swabby to let her out, so we went the cold-hearted medical route. Doc brushed up on his reading, got the senior ship surgeon to lemon him a hand. This case hand means doing the most of the procedure for him, installed a shunt in the interrogator's spine. The more or less paralyzed her from the nose down and combined with a psychic damper it kept her from causing trouble she was kept in her our private med bay next to nubby the four sword had done something nasty to nubby's legs it was going to take augmentic surgery to get them back but he was remarkably cheerful about the whole thing he spent most of the journey talking to the interrogator and telling her stories of our adventures keeping her spirits up and all that he thoroughly enjoyed having someone to talk to if he didn't tell him to shut up or stop lying doc taught the interrogator how to communicate via blinking as a sort of experiment during the trip but all she ever said was kill me Nobody thought this was needlessly grim and redoubled his efforts to cheer her up. <laughs> when we finally got back to Oak's spacefaring inquisitorial school, Sergeant handed over a report of the squad's adventures and refused to budge until a senior interrogator were confirmed that the report had been read and collected and collected the interrogator. That the report had been read and collected the interrogator? Okay. Nobody was sad to see her go and hoped that she would come to vi- come visit after the Inquisition helped her with the bad men. We were all released to our quarters on Oak's ship, except for Nubby, who got the se- got sent to the medical wing to start getting fitted for a pair of augmentic legs. We were finally able to relax in the company of our fellow guardsmen, but we weren't able to get into the proper spirit of R&R, see, drunk, since we knew that Oak would call us up for a debriefing the moment we started drinking. He didn't keep us waiting long enough. Or he didn't keep us waiting long, though. Before the week was over, we were summoned to his office to give a full report. Sergeant Doc did their best to explain everything, while Twitch and Cutter kept their damn mouths shut. And to our surprise, Oak believed every word. He questioned a few things and asked for clarification several times, but he believed every bloody word we said. At the end of the debriefing, he told us the interrogator was being turned over to the Ordos Malleus <laughs> for interrogation, and we were to never speak of her again. 
this student is fine. And we all started congratulating ourselves on a job well done. Then, then he offered Sarge the rank of interrogator and a chance to advance to full inquisitor. The entire squad went to bat for Sarge when we heard this. Gutter expressed his complete lack of faith in Sarge's combat ability. Twitch pointed out his lack of proper inquisitorial suspicion. Doc raised the question of Sarge's overall physical fitness and mental fortitude. And from his comm link in the medbay, Nubby raised the question of Sarge's lack of ethics and history of petty theft. None of us could condone the elevation of such a pitiful specimen to the rank of interrogator. It would dishonor the entire Inquisition. In the face of all these perfectly valid arguments, Sarge regretfully declined Oak's offer. He just wasn't good enough to be an interrogator, so he'd have to settle. A very bemused Oak acquiesced to Sarge's rejection. If the man's best friends didn't think he was interrogating material, then that was the end of it. So he finished the debriefing and sent us on our way. We went and drank until we puked, and then puked until we passed out. Except for Nubby. He was stuck in medbay, eating and drinking nothing but nutritionally balanced meals. Poor old bastard. Our R&R binge lasted for quite a while, but eventually it came to an end. We geared up for our next mission, but unfortunately, Nubby was still struggling with his augmetic legs. Learning to walk on artificial legs is a long and arduous process, which not everyone can master, but Nubby had faith and assured us that he'd keep at it a while while we went on our next mission. Luckily, there was an open post in the quartermaster's department on the ship. It would be the perfect job for him while he got his feet under him, as it were. We left the med bay after that discussion with heavy hearts. None of us had exactly liked Nubby, but we couldn't imagine deploying without him. Where the hell would we get our ammo from? He just always seemed to have fresh packs for us. As we got back to our barracks, we were greeted by a familiar voice. Sitting in the middle of the room was the Rupert complete with a shiny augmetic arm and Alfred at his back. He was chatting with Crisp, one of the few surviving flamer experts in the regiment, and seemed to be enjoying himself immensely. In a jolly voice, he invited us over and told us he wanted our help on a little trip down to the colonies to sort out a spot of theological trouble. According to him, it was positively benighted down there, not a single illuminated thinker on the whole planet, no one to point them toward the light of the emperor. You might call it a case of dark heresy, what what? We gathered up our kits and followed him out. After all, we knew there were worse interrogators out there. And that is the end of our chapter. Coming I up really next, like this one. Heretic Purging. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was good. I'm a little sad that we that they uh, didn't get to evolve into Inquisitors, but uh, not surprising in the slightest, considering how much they fucked. Yeah, <laughs> it always surprises me how long this these. Uh... Oh yeah, this yeah. one felt longer than the other ones too. I think, I think they're getting. I think this this next one's even longer. It looks like. Oh wow! I think they do get longer as they go on. Well, thankfully, this wasn't. Too long of an episode. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Definitely not. <laughs> nothing, nothing was Hopefully. long this one. No, nothing. No hour-long long. shit Very break. short episode. Uh, anything that we should discuss, cover, review? I uh, I rate it. Uh, eight dead Inquisitors out of eight Inquisitors. 
Yeah, I mean, I second that. I love the Algarthian party a lot. It's very enjoyable. I think it's very funny. It's very good at explaining what's going on. Kai, from from the standpoint of someone who's less informed than 40k, would you say it's good at making things easy to understand? Oh, yeah. It's like one of those things where you can, like, I don't know, you can kind of infer the connotation of a lot of the concepts that are from Warhammer, and then, like, mm-hmm. just, just kind of, like, flow with the rest of the story. Like, especially, like, I feel like... Without the gene stealer cult explanation, you would still have a pretty decent idea what's going on. Just because, oh, like, yeah, for sure, you were already there for the episode where we read about the chaos cultists, and you know, mm-hmm. gene stealer cultists aren't that that much different in theory. Yes, murderous cultists are murderous cultists. It doesn't matter where you go. Beans, beans. Bean stealer stealer cultists. Bean stealers. I was going to say, I think that the writing style really helps to understand because it's not like incredibly complicated. Yeah. But it is very detailed and easy to follow. That's the upside of it being a 4chan post is that because it's not incredibly complicated, it can't be. Because, you know, character yeah. limits in 4chan, everyone on 4chan has a reading level of about an 8th grader. <laughs> I, I just I just had the uh, the thought with the term gene stealer. Like, what if you had a superpower or, like, a stand ability that allowed you to steal specific genes for people? Like, you could just Hitler steal the melanin-making gene, and then they just... <laughs> they get extreme vitiligo. Oh, Hitler, that would be Hitler's stand. Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all we have. <laughs> or apple bottom jeans, actually. Let's <laughs> get this fucking episode edited so it's a normal length and not two hours and twenty three minutes long. Considering probably an hour okay. of it was uh, was nothing. Okay, wait, hold on. I I, w- I want to pitch you my copyright free name for Apple Bottom Jeans. Yes. Pair top shorts. <laughs> I think it should be pair top pants. Just just so you have that like alliteration going on there. I agree. Pair top pants. <laughs> Orange middle slacks. <laughs> Clean Jane khakis. Oh, I like that one. No, because Jean is already in the original. I said Jane. Clean Jane khakis. Jean, oh. not Jean. Clean Jane khakis. Yeah. But yeah, come back for the next episode of the All Garden Party where we read Heretic Purgeon. Bye. Yes. We love you. <laughs> I don't.